It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome in to the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week we look at stories locally and also some nationally and even a wacky story or two just to put a little spin on it. As always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. Rick? Skinny Reds pitcher Sonny Gray allowed one earned run on four hits with three walks and ten strikeouts in Tuesday night's 3-2 victory over the Padres at Great American Ballpark. In his last ten starts, Gray is 6-1 and one with a 158 ERA, and his overall record improved to 9-6 and six with a 292 ERA. Skinny, with Sonny Gray pitching so well this season, what does that do for the Reds' roster flexibility, specifically looking at that pitching rotation heading into next year? That's a good question because you got obviously you have Castillo under team control. Um, you know you got Bauer um, for another year in theory. Alex Wood's a free agent. I think it gives you a lot of options. I mean, it gives you it, it, it gives you the knowledge that you go into next year with two frontline starters, right? And really, Trevor Bauer should be a third in your mind. Three frontline starters. Um, I, I think it makes the decision on Alex Wood an easy one. If, if it works financially, go ahead and do it. If it's uh, it feels like it's a little out of your realm. You're starting with already three good starters in, in Castillo, Sonny Gray, and Bauer. And Di Sclafani's a decent back of the end, end guy. So you're only looking for one if that's the case. So I think it gives you that. I mean, Sonny Gray's been great, though. I Look, I was hoping he'd go back to the back of his baseball card, which was about a 350 ERA, 360 ERA type of guy. Um, there's no doubt, for whatever reason, he could not pitch in Yankee Stadium. He's not the first guy that's just struggled there. Um, it's it, it sometimes it just eats you alive. You know, he got reunited with his pitching coach Derek Johnson, and and that, and that helped. Um, he's been great, but I think it gives you some ro- roster flexibility. I, I still think I make a run at Alex Wood. I know he struggled. I just see a guy that if he can get you 25 starts, because you know he's going to probably be on the DL, right, at some point. It just, it's just kind of his it MO. It seems that way, yeah. But if he can get you 25 starts, I think there's a price tag you can put on that, right? Yeah, and and I think you need to be aggressive in looking. I, 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 I don't think you can get too comfortable with what Sonny Gray has done this year because – it is a deviation from the back of his baseball card. It is a, a slight. Tr- I mean, a slight. I mean, it's, it's I, a half a run to, well, to point six better. And and yeah, I'm not expecting. Look I, again. If Sunny Gray next year gives me a three point eight five ERA, I'm taking you. You, oh, I'll sign me up for it right now for sure. But what I'm saying is. He's pitching like an ace right yes, now. Yes, correct. Him and Luis Castillo both are pitching like aces right now for this ball club. And if it weren't for the way those two have pitched this year, this thing could be a lot uglier. This season may not have gone the way it's gone, and it hasn't gone all that well. So I don't think you can bank on him being an ace going into next year and get too carried away with, well, maybe we need to be looking at dealing Trevor Bauer, Alex right. Wright. But at the same time, I do think you can start looking in the future thinking, maybe this offseason – you do you do look at trading one of those guys for a younger, more controllable arm that isn't major league ready just yet because you do have Sonny Gray under control and he's proven at, that at least he's he's a legit top of the rotation type guy. Yes. He may not be an ace, but I think he's a top three guy without question in Cincinnati, and you feel very good about that with the way he's pitched. This yeah, year. I mean, I thought I thought he was that coming in anyway, just based on what they had. I, I, based but, on what they had, yeah, but, but I think you feel really good about it now. Yeah, I mean. It, I tell you what, you start next year with 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 Bauer and Castillo and and Sonny Gray, and add a add a bat somewhere, whatever it is, catcher, hopefully, whatever. I, I like this team. I, I still like this team this year. I'm still I, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around why this is a sub 500 team with all the good things that have happened. I, I'm having a hard time with that. Yeah, I mean, 
I've seen, you know, all the different splits of one run games and day games versus night games, which that's a very bizarre split. That is They're a very terrible yeah. in day games. That, that, that seems almost coincidental, right? It doesn't seem like it's, it's there can't be anything to correct. It. Right. I mean, but it, it's bizarre but it's at real. This point when you look at that number. Um, and yeah, it's just hard to really put your finger on why this team right. can't get it together. Uh, a lot of people want to point to coaching or managing issues. A lot of people, you know, it's, it's all different. Every game, it seems like there's a new reason why they lost that game, and a lot of them seems to be they can't pull out those close well, one-run wins. And I and I wondered this after I love Eugenio Suarez. I think he's and especially for the the money they've signed him for, I think he's great. But this team just doesn't have a star in the lineup. It doesn't. Yeah. The star you have is aged, and he's not the star he once was. Suarez had a couple chances the last couple games, not Tuesday but Sunday and, and Monday to win the game. I mean, and, and look, you're not always going to do it, but. Hey, Bryce Harper had a game-winning grand slam. I mean, guy, guy, superstars do this more times than they don't, probably, or at least it feels that way, and it should feel that way. Suarez had a superstar chance two two straight games and came up empty both times. And look, I want him in the lineup. I want him on my team. I love him. I think he's great. He's a really good player. But I don't. Do they have a superstar that you go? All right, games on the line. Bottom of the ninth. Two outs. We're down. We're down a run. Guy on third. Guy on second. Whatever. He's coming through. He's coming through because you know what he is. He's a superstar. I don't know if they've got that, and maybe that's what it. Maybe they just don't have that guy. Yeah, in other sports, we always talk about having that killer, right? I mean, yeah. last year during the basketball season, we talked about Xavier. You know that they had a talented group, but they didn't have that go-to guy after they lost Trayvon. Right, Bullitt. you were talking about they need that killer at the end of games to sort of close it out for them and carry them. A guy who's confident enough to do those things. You know, in football, we talk about with quarterbacks all the time in fourth quarters. Oh, he's he's a savage. He's a killer in those moments. In baseball, we don't talk about it as much because it's the innings thing. You may not get a chance right. uh, in those end-of-game situations. But you're right. I mean, I think it does impact this team not having that sort of go-to guy that you can always rely on that sort of raises everybody else's level up a bit. I, and that's right. I think Suarez is close to being that guy. I think he's close, but he's not that guy yet. No, Because he not. hasn't done it. And until he, until he does, I mean, you just it's you can't be that guy. You can't carry yourself as that guy until you've been there and done it. And yeah, I do... I, I don't know how important that is in the game of baseball, but I, think, I do yeah, think, I think it's it lacking. I, I do think it's yeah, lacking. I think I think it is important. I think you need to have that guy that, and maybe it's not just a game. Maybe it's a guy for a for a two week stretch. You just can't get out. Look, I mean, Aquino's fun, and it's been fun for him to carry you for two weeks. But he's not he's not carrying you yet. Maybe one day we look up and go, man, we saw the the, the start of a four hundred and fifty home run career, and it blossomed just like that. But. You, you need a guy like a Suarez. You need somebody like him to become the guy. Clutch situation, game on the line, you come through. And I don't know if they've got that guy. Yeah, I would agree. Skinny, a lot has been made about Reds manager David Bell and his propensity to pull his pitchers early in games. Our buddy Lance McAllister from 700 WLW posted this stat on social media the other day, noting that there are exactly zero Major League Baseball teams with starting rotations averaging six innings or more per start this season. In 2000, there were 17 teams who finished the season with their starting rotations averaging six innings or more. According to a report by the LA Times, an injury analytics consultant they spoke to said publicly available studies have not demonstrated that inning limits and pitch counts imposed by major league organizations necessarily lead to a reduced risk of injury for pitchers. Do you think major league managers have figured out the most efficient way to use their pitching rotations and fans need to catch up to the times? Or do you think fans may be onto something and managers should reevaluate how they use their rotations? I think a little bit of both. I'll go more towards the latter. Um, it feels like they've just started babying these guys the second they draft them, right? They put inning pitch limits, innings limits. And yeah, I get some of that. But did it prevent Hunter Green from blowing his arm out? 
It didn't. I mean, it, 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 some of this stuff you have no control over. You think you do, you just don't. I do know some of the analytics of it are, and, and you can look, I mean, it's pretty easy to go to baseballreference.com. You can look it up yourself. Some of the analytics are, you know, when a guy gets above a certain pitch number, the stats fall off. And maybe some of that's coincidental because it just comes at a time in the game where whatever. Some of it is you can you can see third time through the through the batting order, guys start to fall off for whatever reason. It's you've run out of pitches to show them, they figured you out, um, and the numbers go go a little haywire. So there is a little bit to that. But I also think this, I mean, I've seen games where guys are effective through 85 pitches in six innings and, all right, let's, we, we need to either add on or we're down a run and we need to catch up. I'm going to pull the guy. And it's, that, that's the ones to me that, that, that makes me go, can you just not do this a little bit by feel? I mean, ask the guy, how you feeling, guy? You good? Okay, you look good. You look great. You got, you got, great, got great stuff tonight. I think some of it, too, is as a manager, let's face it. You you think you can control the situation by constantly going to the bullpen, right? It's a very uncontrollable game because um, you can call on your best guy and he may not have it that day. You may call on your worst guy and he may give you two good, whatever. I, I think it's managers, I think they overthink it. I think they've always overthought it both ways. And I think now they're overthinking it of, well, he's at a certain pitch limit. That's got to go. I mean, seriously, it feels like the 100 pitch limit that if you throw 101st pitch, your arm might fall off. I mean, that's what it feels like anymore, right? I, I, that's the silliest thing ever. Yeah, and and clearly and everybody's different. That's that's the key right there to me. I just don't understand. And actually, I do understand. Managers are too safe. And the the point you brought up is a good one. The fact that they feel like they can control everything, or they want to micromanage everything, they're too safe in that regard. Too conservative in that regard. But they're also too safe from the standpoint of they don't want to be the the manager who ruined a pitcher's arm. Right, because because Dust, no, Dusty Baker got that reputation in Chicago with Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood that he blew the arm. He didn't. Right. And there's and there's no data to back up the fact that pitch counts limiting guys on pitch counts is helping. The LA Times did a report right. with with a uh, guy from well, the Dodgers who I, said there's no data to back this up. I mean, I'll ask you. The thing is, I I could probably back this up if I started Rick Brewing on a Monday and you threw 113 pitches and I say, you know what, you're starting to get on Wednesday. I'm going to throw you another. Okay, they, they go every fifth day, and sometimes if there's a day off, it's a sixth day. You think there's a difference in that fifth day or sixth day if you throw 113 or 121 or 90 pitches? Do you really believe that? No, especially not for, like... I'm not me. You know what I'm saying. Does no. anyone really believe that? And I think the other thing is, like you said, everyone's different. There might be some guys that around 80, 90, they're, they're maxed out. They're and done. there might be some guys at 138. Correct. Nolan Ryan, I think I've, I've got I think I've got this right. Somebody can look it up probably and tell me I'm wrong. I know I'm going to be at least close. Nolan Ryan once pitched a complete game and threw 187 pitches. 187 pitches. Can you imagine that today? You would be crucified from here to kingdom come if you left a pitcher on the mound for 187. And guess how many starts Nolan Ryan missed that year? None. And and people will say, oh, it's a different game. Athletes are bigger. Nolan Ryan threw 95 miles an hour. Correct. We're not talking about a guy who was soft tossing. Tom, Tom Seaver. Doesn't feel like Tom Seaver ever missed a start in the majority of his career. Tom Seaver threw hard. Tom Seaver threw probably upwards of 150 pitches multiple times. Um, and yet he had the body type, the arm type. He used his legs so good mechanically that it was really, he was all about his legs. For those that ever, if you've not seen Tom Seaver, kids, go to YouTube. Watch how low he got to the ground. Watch how he drove with his legs. He was just absurdly good. Uh, mechanically sound. He could he could survive all that. Look, I do. Some guys are full upper body torque and that's all they've got, right? Okay. If that's the guy that at 88 pitches, is that we have literally drawn a line in the sand and go, man, anytime he's gone above 88, it's not good. So let's just get him out at 88 or around the 88 number and, and be done with him. You got another guy, 
man, look, I'll tell you what, 114 pitches, he's still the same as he was at 97 pitches. He's fine. Then just everybody's different. Everybody is different. I think the data is on our side when it comes to the injury situation. Now, where it isn't on our side is the analytics that you talked about, that third time through the lineup that everyone wants to point to, managers that do this. Now, that's where I think this becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It goes back to what you said. Well, of course, if you've babied these guys from the... Look, they were supposed to be babied as kids because we, there we do see a causation effect of throwing too many innings, too many pitches. How many, how many of those little league kids have... Uh, it's, 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 injury. it's gotten better, but but how many some of those guys... How, many, how, many, how much do you think Tom Seaver was probably used in the little league back in the day? Oh, probably. Wait, wait. But here's, <laughs> exactly. But they also didn't play like travel ball. No, that's fair. You're right. Yeah, so that's those a good, kids that's, now play 60 games a summer. And that's a good point. So yeah, so there is, I'll give you that. There is a reason to baby those kids a little bit more and and their arms when they're younger but once they're adults there's there's no reason to do it from what we can tell according to medical research so they start doing this as soon as they come up into the minors and then they start talking about how the third third time through the lineup they can't get anyone out well they've never done that they've never done it yeah they they don't ever get we never challenge them enough they do it one time and then we say look see they couldn't do it it's like well it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point and and i i I think some of it i don't even think about some of it is you you draft a guy like hunter green i'm using him as an example because he's coming off Tommy John surgery you sign him to such a such a high amount of money that you're basically scared to death of the investment of man if we don't baby him we're going to lose all the money well you've already you've already sunk the cost man just deal with let's move forward with that part that part's gone that part's over with you've already sunk the cost into the kid let's develop him as opposed to baby him money's hey, look, worth. and I'm at Hunter Green could have if they'd have thrown him 125 pitches from day 1 he could have blown his arm it, it, all this stuff is it just is what it is but I think some of the babying process goes goes exactly what you say. I, I I've gone through a guy two times in the lineup. I showed him a couple fastballs and a curve the first time. I pitched him backwards the second time. I went curve, fastball, fastball. What do I do the third time? Well, I don't. Let's come up with something else. You'll learn how to come up with something else. It's kind of like the mid range shot in basketball. I think we've gone too far. Correct. I think there's the, a lot of value to it. I, I think I think. There, there probably are a lot of guys in Major League Baseball that need to be pulled after two times through the lineup. Yes. They're just not good enough. They don't have enough stuff. They're not going to get through that third lineup. But it's not everybody. But I think the top guys, there's a good amount of them, just like the mid-range shot in basketball. You look at the best players, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Larry Bird, all these stars were great mid-range players. Correct. So I think it's the same thing with pitchers. There's probably a bunch of top-of-the-rotation guys, the Kershaws, the guys like that, that do have these arms that are just incredibly durable they can probably throw 130 pitches an outing they can probably face your lineup three times and yet we're still not letting none of these guys throw 200 innings in 2019 do I, want, I don't understand that do i want sunny gray at 107th pitch or do i want robert stevenson i mean it's, honestly it seems like an easy choice to me yeah i, I mean, don't know and again I, i'm i'm not i'm not against all this research i think there's probably a lot of truth to it i just think we go too far in the other direction yeah because you because everybody pigeonholes it as it's it's one size fits all yeah that Every pitcher. No, everyone is different. And then, Treat them differently. And then you do get into that thing where I think managers, GMs are afraid to be the guy that ruins something. Correct. They're they're like, well, as long as I hold, everyone agrees that 100 pitches is a magical number. Right. So as long as I hold them to that, I'll never be accused. Yeah, I don't have to. Nobody's going to say I blew the guy's arm out. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, in fairness to them, you mentioned Dusty Baker. I think of Tom Thibodeau in, in the NBA as he ran guys too hard, played them too hard on defense. He ruined Derrick Rose's knees. You can get that reputation, fair or unfair, and it's hard to come back from at times. So on one hand, I kind of get why they do it. On the other hand, I think it costs a lot of them. I do too. I would agree. 
All right, Skinny, switching gears to the NFL. The Bengals placed guard Christian Westerman on the exempt left squad list on Friday, and it was reported that he was considering retirement. The exempt left squad lift does give Westerman the right to come back to the Bengals if he chooses. Bengals coach Zach Taylor said he's spoken to Westerman, but didn't provide any other details other than saying Westerman had until Wednesday to decide if he was coming back or not. If Westerman does choose to walk away from football, he would become the third Bengals O-lineman to retire leading up to the 2019 regular season. Guard Clint Bowling retired on July 15th, and tackle Kent Perkins announced his plans to retire on August 13th. Having three offensive linemen retire during the same offseason, with two of them being physically healthy, would be an odd circumstance. Is there something to read into here with the Bengals' new staff, particularly controversial offensive line coach Jim Turner, or is this just a coincidence in your opinion? I think it is just a coincidence, and we asked both of them on uh, on Monday kind of along the, these same lines, and, and I'll give them credit. They, they Neither one of them backed down from the interview, and they were both post-practice interviews. Um, and again, they can decline those. Zach has a press conference, and he had one Sunday, but we also asked to talk to him after Monday. Actually, we are asking mostly about Cordy Glenn because Cordy wasn't seen on Sunday or Monday, and we sort of thinking, see Quinton too, and it turns out he's he's in concussion protocol. So well, yeah. anytime a Bengals lineman doesn't show up, like, now you got to think, did he retire? Like, what's going what? on? Yeah. And again, you don't have to believe this if you don't want, and that's fine. Um, I, I I'll say I do believe it. And Zach answered it of it's 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 three different circumstances for Kent Perkins and for Christian Westerman. They are both personal issues. Um, uh, from what I understand, for for Kent Perkins, it was a family health issue for him. Um, Clint had blood clots. Now. Players have come back from those. I think if Clint still had wanted to play, I think Clint would have simply said, listen, just cut me so I can go somewhere else, and he would have played. I think he just got to the point of he's, he's, he is a tough guy. He's one of my favorite Bengals because I, I just, he just was one of those lunch pail, come to work, just straightforward kind of guys. If, if Clint still wanted to play, Clint would be playing for somebody in the league. So, yeah, it's easy to look at Jim Turner and go, man, this guy's passed, and suddenly three guys are, are gone. Um Again, you can choose what to believe. I, I, I'm going to believe Zach Taylor in this case. To this point, he's been a pretty straight shooter with stuff. Um, it does look very odd. But again, Kent Perkins was a family health issue, supposedly. Westerman's is a personal issue, whatever that is. And this is Christian's now third different offensive line coach that has basically said he can't play and, and doesn't play him. I, I don't think that's a Jim Turner thing. And for Clint, it was health. I mean, it was blood clots. So it, it does look odd. If they'd have told us after we saw Cordy Glenn gone for two days that Cordy's thinking about leaving football, it would have been even odder. Um, but no, I, I, I think it's all completely coincidental. Yeah, and there's no evidence to suggest anything otherwise. But I will say, just because, like, they're saying there are three different incidents. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the issue still isn't Jim Turner. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they could all have three different issues. Yeah. Yes. And I know Clint Bowling is, is the blood clots thing. That is a health reason. That's a little... You know, it's hard to really point in anything on the team. But when you have three guys in the same position group in an offseason, one of them very much seems to be in a battle for the starting left guard spot. I, 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 he, he was, and he kind of, I think some of that maybe is tied to this is suddenly John Jerry went past him and Michael Jordan went past him, and now he's looking and, and thinking he just can't play. Correct. And this is the thing again, Paul Alexander didn't play him much, Frank Pollock didn't play him much. I know there's a there's a group of fans out there that are that are all we call them the Westerman Hive because they seem to they've grinded the tape and they seem to think he's a great player. Three different coaches don't think you can play. Do you think that's coincidental? Probably not. Yeah. Okay. Probably not. But I also know NFL checks aren't easy to come by. Correct. And they're pretty no, good to I, get. I, so agreed. guys don't normally even if they're not good enough to start or play. 
They normally don't just say, I'm done collecting an NFL well, and, check, and, and, and I'm not going to try to play for anyone else. Right, so. and even 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 if it's you're not going to play here, and they're going to cut you in the end, maybe some other you got enough on tape, some other team will take you. And by the way, I don't know that the Bengals are going to cut an offensive lineman right now. I, I mean, they... I, I tell you what, I had Christian Westerman on my initial 53-man roster. I had him making it, because I thought he was in a battle for the left guard. That was before camp started. Um, I did one last Friday after he didn't make the trip to Washington, and it sounded like he was going. He was at least contemplating retirement. There were some reports that he had retired. He's still not retired yet. He does have, as we're doing this podcast, he has the Bengals in him having until four o'clock today. He's on that exempt list to make a decision one way or the other. He had a five day grace period there to make sort decision, yeah, yeah. to sort things out. Um, I'm guessing I didn't see his stuff, and his, his helmet and shoulder pads were out of his locker yesterday after they were in there on Monday. So I'm going to guess that he's probably gone in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I didn't have him on the latest 53-man. I only kept eight offensive linemen. If I was going to keep nine, he would have been the ninth. So I still think he could have maybe made it. But they also have Alex Redmond coming off the suspension list five weeks into the season. So you can carry eight for the first few weeks as long as somebody doesn't get hurt. You'll probably have a couple on the practice squad too. So I, I think Christian was on the bubble of even making the club. I really do. And maybe he read the tea leaves. I, I don't know. I, again, I'm going to just leave it at, if, when I hear personal reasons, I, I'm not, I don't know that. I don't, I, I, I don't yeah. even know if you're telling the truth. I, I, I tend to think you are. But again, you're right. The personal reason could be he's got a personality conflict with the, with the offensive line coach. Right. And it's totally unfair and, to and, accuse and I, anything. Yeah, and, and, I, and I will say, that, Jim Turner's answer was very interesting when he was asked about it. It was asked in a very open-ended way. Um, he said, he said, listen, man, sometimes it's just time to go to work. And he goes, you know, I got guys that show up and go to work, and I'm going to coach the guys that come here and go to work. It was, it was, it was cryptic. It was weird. It did make it sound a little bit like he thinks Christian Westerman is soft. Yeah, I will yeah, say, I'll, like, the I'll, answer very I'll, I'll, much I'll, sounded like— I'll give you that. Uh, we're moving on with the guys we've got because this guy isn't tough enough to be here. It's kind of what it sounded like. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll give you that. And again, I'm not saying and, and he I, has anything me, to do with why Christian Westerman is sleeping. Hey, he coaches hard. I've, I've been right where he's in a position coach, and you're allowed to walk up as close as you can without bothering them. He coaches hard. He, he, it's, really? He coaches hard. The old hard. school guy who uh, made sexist references during yeah. a, a women's night at the NFL and um, has gotten in trouble for bullying coaches hard. I'm surprised to hear that. One of my, one of my favorite ones was the very – one of the early – I think it was in, a, in an, or, or, an OTA or one of maybe June's minicamp. It wasn't in training camp, but it was one of those two that, that we were allowed to go to. And Michael Jordan, the rookie guard, they had a drill where they had to raise up and, and hit a – hit the sled in front of them and he, he's a big punch guy you know they, he wants people to extend hands and then move from, i think that's how jonah williams actually got hurt maybe there's something to that too great but he's a big punch so he, so michael jordan punched and he kind of was like laying there for a second he said oh you need a trainer mike oh you need a trainer trainer can i get a trainer he's like no man he goes no mike you i, I think i need a trainer for you and he goes it's a blanking joke mike get up and do it again i'm like oh my heavens okay that that, that. <laughs> Guy doesn't seem like the most stable in the world. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I will say it's very odd, and, and nobody can say it's not at least odd, right? I would, I would tend to agree. And again, it's unfair to to point at anything, but it's a very strange situation. Well, yeah, and I'll go back to again, Clint Bowling health, Kent Perkins family health issue, whatever it is, and we don't know about Christian Westerman. So if you take those in the individual, maybe the Westerman one is certainly a personality conflict of some kind. But I don't think all three are. I, I would tend to agree with that. Right. The Bengals take on the New York Giants Thursday night at 7 p.m. at Paul Brown Stadium in the team's third preseason game, which can be seen on Local 12. Skinny, what are you most interested to see in this third preseason game for the Bengals? I'm looking forward to seeing the offense get um, a handful of series with with 
not all the parts because you don't have A.J. Green, you don't have John Ross, but but you'll have Mixon and Bernard for more than a carry apiece. You'll have Tyler Eifert for a handful more snaps. You won't have Cordy Glenn, so that kind of shakes it up. But I, I want to see how they do with it extended. Now, they did get three series the other night against Washington. Um, one of them ended in a, in a pick six. I, I think they were only going to probably go two series, but they ended up getting a third because of the pick six, I guess. Um, and they only had 46 yards as, as, a, as an offensive group. I, 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 I want to see... I want to see what adjustments you make after more than a couple of three series. I, I want to see how that goes for, for this offense. I'm also looking forward to seeing I, – I, I want to see a couple of guys individually. I want to see Rodney Anderson play. He's a six-round pick, hasn't played running back. Um, I, they, I think they like him a lot. I've only had them keeping three backs. I think if Rodney shows something, and I know Darren Simmons, the special teams coach, um, thinks a lot of him. If he shows something that maybe they carry a fourth back – and Carl Lawson, who's not played. I, I mean, Carl has just wrecked people in training camp. I talked to him for a little bit yesterday, and he's chomping at the bit to, to, to get out there and play and said he understood. Look, they had a plan for him to not play the first two games because he was coming back from the knee thing, and he said he was fine with it. But he said, I, I need to get some snaps. I'm looking forward to getting some snaps, so I'm looking forward to seeing him play. And I'm looking forward to one more thing of Ryan Finley. I mean, the dude's done nothing but great. He's 33 of 44. He's been on time. He's thrown the ball accurately. He's done some good things. He doesn't rip it. I mean, the Hail Mary pass was one of the worst Hail Mary passes I think I've ever seen. I don't think he threw it 40 yards, for goodness sakes. But, hey, he's doing everything they're asking him to do in the offense. He's getting it out of his hand. He's finding open receivers. He's completing passes. I, I, I want to see one more time. I want to see – I'd like to see him run with the ones uh, Zach Taylor said he's not going to. That's a little disappointing to me. If you're going to make him the backup, wouldn't you want to see him play – at least some snaps against the first-team defense. And maybe he does. Maybe when they put him in, the other the, the Giants have their first-team group still out there, even though he's running with the twos. I kind of like to see that. But, yeah, there's still a lot, I think, to, to look at in this preseason game. You smell that, Skinny? What's that? That's a quarterback controversy oh, brewing even, in it's Cincinnati. Even, it's not even close. I can smell it right now. That's what, what I'm excited what, to what, see. What, between Jeff Driscoll and Ryan Finley, who the backup's going to be? Yeah, that's what I'm that's excited to see. I want to see Jeff Driscoll run down and cover a kickoff. I do want to see that, too. I would like to see that, but I'm excited to see Ryan Finley legitimately. Like, I'm, I was kind of joking last week, but I'm seriously excited to see Ryan Finley play. He's, okay. He's been really good for two games. He has been. I there look there's not much to watch in preseason football. No, the most exciting thing to me at this point is watching because Ryan Finley he was billed as an Andy Dalton type quarterback yes. coming out of college. Correct. They had a lot of similar things said about them. However, the one thing we have seen from Ryan Finley so far that is very different from Andy Dalton is he has a lot of poise in the pocket. He has guys yeah, I, collapsing I, all around I, I, I him, and he say, steps up and throws the ball with no happy feet, with no shyness, I'll give you no that. weak throws. I mean, no weaker than his average yeah, throws correct. because he doesn't throw it very hard. But, I mean, he is he has poise. He has pocket presence. And it's the one thing that's always been really, really, really hard to watch with Andy Dalton. No, I, I don't disagree with that. And, and you're right. Um and I thought it was noticeable in the Washington game. There wasn't a lot of pressure, and he even complimented the line after the game Ryan Finley did about, you know, look, they gave me protection. It makes it easy to play. But you had to watch him move. He moved around just slight, you know, a step here and a step there to, to kind of give himself a window, let the rush get around. You're right. He looks very poised doing it. Zach Taylor made a couple of points in the Kansas City game where, one, I don't recall the play, but he said they came with a with an all-out blitz, basically, and he said he stood in there and made the proper read, the proper throw, didn't freak out where most rookies would freak out. The touchdown pass in the Kansas City game, he got a little lucky on because he looks he stared down the right side the whole time. Pressure came, pressure came. All of a sudden, he turned left. There was a guy wide, wide open, open in the flat. <laughs> Drew Sample. So, yeah, so there's a little yeah. – no, no, the Sample one was the, was the one last week. That oh, was right, uh, the running right. back, Jordan Ellis. But it was kind of lucky because it's like – you, you you probably should have gotten sacked there, but he didn't. So he, he's you're right. He's done all of those things and he's done them them well. But 
what happens when a team starts to throw more exotic blitzes at you and more exotic looks at you, and you have to throw in a tighter window because he doesn't he doesn't rip it. I mean, he no, does it's... not rip it. And some of that, I think, though, in this offense, I think if you've paid attention at all, one of the things about this offense is if it's just a, a if it's not a play action part of the game, if it's just a straight drop back, it is out of that quarterback's hand fast. They are it's a quick decision. It's it's hey, this is where the ball is going. This is where I'm going to put the ball, and I'm getting out of my hands. I mean. I've seen very little pressure in those circumstances. There's been a little bit, but not a lot. And, you know, off their play-action stuff, they want to try to hit a home run off of it more times than not. I don't know if Finley has that kind of an arm. I know you can argue Dalton doesn't either, but Dalton's hit some home runs in his day. He's got a better arm than Ryan Finley does. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much better Dalton's arm is than Ryan Finley, but I do, like, yeah, I mean... They're right there, right? I mean, they're both neither. I think it's easier to watch Ryan Finley for Cincinnati fans because they're so used to Andy Dalton. Correct. If you were coming off some guy who really had a strong arm, you'd be like, God, yeah, this, this guy, guy not get right, it out there at right. all. Um, but yeah, there, there's just again, there's not much to watch in these games. I'm not interested in any of the preseason games, but this one, I will like, I'll be watching Ryan Finley a little bit because he's shown me something in the I, first I, two I, games. It's it's somewhat interesting because. We are at a we are at a crossroads with Andy Dalton coming up here in the next year or two, right? Yes, I mean, at some yes, point correct. he's going to be gone, so you're looking for the next guy. It may not be Ryan Finley; he was only a fourth round draft pick, but he's Maybe on your roster is. right now, and correct. he's going to be your backup. So. That's, that's correct, and he is going to be your backup. I, I think barring barring him going one of thirteen with three interceptions and looking like Jimmy Garoppolo, um, he's the backup quarterback. I mean, I, I, I can't see scenarios where where he's not. I think he's solidified that. I think he'd have to have two disasters back to back. Yeah, this I game I, and I, in the fourth. And game. I don't even know if he'd play a ton in the fourth game to be a disaster. It may be to the Jeff Driscoll show and <laughs> have a good time with it, guy. Right, it'd be tough for him to lose out of this job after the way he played Correct. against Kansas City. Skinny, former Bengals running back Cedric Benson was killed in a motorcycle crash in Austin, Texas on Saturday night. Benson had a woman on the back of his motorcycle traveling at a high rate of speed through a curving, hilly section of road when he collided with a van that was attempting a turn, according to police. Benson played for the Bengals from 2008 to 2011, his longest stint with any team. During those four years, he rushed for 1,109 yards and 21 touchdowns. Benson was 36 years old. What stands out to you from Cedric Benson's time in Cincinnati or any other memories you have of the former Texas and NFL running back? I thought he, I think he gave him a toughness, a level of toughness when they needed a level of toughness. Um, he, he just, he was, he ran so hard. Um, you know, he, he, he was kind of a, a missing piece to some degree for, for that, that, that little span there. I think there was two playoff teams he played on. Um, he just gave him, he gave him that level of toughness that they needed at a time that they needed it. Yeah. I really felt like he was a redemption story when he came to Cincinnati yeah. because not only what you know, you such a talented running back in college, had all types of crazy stats at Texas, and he comes out and he just wasn't quite that guy for the Bears. I mean, he was good, but never amounted to smoke the, weed every day. Yeah, never amounted to the guy they thought he would be. And then he had some issues off the field, and things had been written about him. I remember when he first came to Cincinnati, he he asked everyone. He was super nice. I remember the first thing everyone said about him was like. Man, that Cedric Benson guy is super, super kind and and soft spoken, and he just asked everyone, "Judge me on how I treat you, yeah, not what's been written about correct. me already." And I I don't remember ever hearing a bad thing said about the guy. It seemed like everyone that worked with him from a media perspective really enjoyed that time. He wasn't he wasn't super talkative, but he was uh, seemed like really respectful and always willing to give his time. And on the field, like you said, he brought a toughness and and really kind of lived up to maybe not a top five or top ten pick or whatever he was hype solid but really good starting running back in the nfl and and like you said gave the Bengals a toughness and a grit that they needed on that team on that roster and uh i mean i think most cincinnati people have really fond memories of cedric benson his time here i I had a a colleague that covers the Bengals now was was 
we were talking about him on Sunday after after the news had come out, and we were in the locker room, and he said, I remember after, and he's right, he goes, I remember after, after I think it was the Bears game, he ran for like 189 yards or whatever, and he sat in his locker just crying uncontrollably as, as reporter after reporter after reporter came up to talk to him. Turns out he was crying because he got his bonus, but 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 the emotion of of going over, you know, hitting a threshold, getting the bonus money. I mean, the fact that he stood there despite all of that, talking to people. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I, I talk about a level of toughness. There's I'm talking about a guy crying in his locker, but um, yeah, he, he, yeah it did. The whole thing is just extremely sad. No question. It really is. All right, switching gears here. The NBA released its rookie survey on Monday, where it pulled this year's draft class on a variety of superlatives relating to their draft classmates. Most of the pulling went as expected, with Zion Williamson picked to win Rookie of the Year and Most Athletic, while John Morant was named Best Playmaker, and UK's Tyler Harrow was named Best Shooter. However, one question then stood shoot out. it more. However, one question stood out as Duke's Cam Reddish was voted the rookie who will have the best career. Not only did Reddish beat out fellow Duke teammates Williamson and R.J. Barrett, but they weren't even right behind him. Williamson and Barrett tied for fourth behind Morant and DeAndre Hunter. Reddish had 19% of the vote, while Williamson and Barrett each received 5%. My question for you is, are the NBA rookies crazy to say Cam Reddish will have the best NBA career out of this year's draft class? I don't think they're crazy. I'm not a big Cam Reddish guy, but, I mean, he is he is the NBA, right? He's a spot-up-and-shoot guy, right? That's what the league is. Well, and he has the prototypical size and body yeah. type and athleticism to do everything else, too. The, the funny part to me is the, the, the fact that... I like John Morant, and I and I want to love John Morant, and I maybe I will. He has one of two things. He is either going to be the guy that we think he is going to be this this freakish eighteen and twelve assist guy every night, or he's going to just be a complete disaster and ruin the chance for every low major Correct. guy that has Correct. a chance to be a lottery pick. I, from I now hope on. I'm wrong. I do think I'm wrong. I didn't see enough of him. You probably saw a little bit more of him. Maybe not. I mean, I, you probably saw maybe you saw more so after like, the fact watching him on Synergy yeah, after I knew yeah. he was. Becoming that star. I mean, does he shoot it great? He shoots it enough off the dribble. That's the one thing. He shoots it off the dribble well, which in the NBA, and he's going to well, and he is going to be a playmaker. So it's it's not like he's going to be a catch and shoot guy. He's going to be a a drive and distribute guy. Yeah, and as I say, I. I'm, if you put a gun to my head and said, which one do you think he'd be, a, a, a very good player or the bust, I would say I think he's going to be a very good player. Same. Um, so that, that one, I, I think some of the Zion Williamson stuff is, do you think they just have Zion Williamson fatigue? Has to be. That's, I mean, that, that has to be what this, because they all agree he's going to win Rookie of the Year, and that's probably more or less them just being, again, kind of that fatigue of being like, well, he's going to win everything because everyone's going right. to vote for him and everyone writes everything about him. So I'm sure that's why they voted that way while saying he won't have the best career. I just, I mean, for all the, this has to be some jealousy and some Zion fatigue here from the other guys in that draft class to say that not only is he not going to have the best career, but he's not in the top four. I mean, yeah. he's tied for fourth with four other guys. Yeah. I just, that seems hard to believe for me when, let's, you may not think Zion Williamson is LeBron James, but he is the best prospect and talent we have seen since lebron james correct so it's it's just crazy to me i think it's i think it's I these think people it's have fatigue yeah that these people have multiple guys in this draft class ahead of well him. let's face it you and i do this do this stuff too right you, you try to be the smartest guy in the room so the smartest guy in the room isn't going to pick zion williamson because everybody's picking zion williamson i'll be the smartest guy in the room i'll choose somebody else right but that's usually right? more of a media guy thing not a player thing and this was okay. the other rookies yeah. which surprised so this to me screams more jealousy we're tired of hearing about it you guys aren't talking enough about this guy it just surprised me that Cam Reddish, who was the third best on that Duke team out of these three guys we're talking about, 
is the guy that they picked to have the best career. I think Cam Reddish is going to be good. I do too. I don't, I but don't I, see how you can pick either. him over Zion for sure. I don't see how you pick him over R.J. Barrett. I don't see how you pick him over John Morant. Well, R.J. Barrett's going to have a chance to get 25 to 30 shots a game, right? I mean, honest to goodness, he's, he's right away. <laughs> I mean, just right away. And he'll take them, too. And he'll take he's them. That's the, that, yeah, that's the other part. And he'll take them. Because he's, he's, he, he took shots at Duke. He wasn't afraid to shoot. So, I, yeah, and the Tyler Hero one, yeah, I think he's a great shooter. But, honestly, shoot the ball more. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 at Kentucky, no, 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 there's been probably no player that's pissed me off more than that guy has. Really? Really? Yeah. Just if you're that good of a shooter, stop passing up open shots. Best shooter in the class. By the way, we have it on on podcast. I had I had said on a podcast at one point we were talking about the draft class that I thought he had passed Keldon Johnson. You did and moved up to middle of the pack, and you were like, "I think you screwed that up." There. I was like, "No, I, no, I didn't. I, I think Tyler. I mean Tyler Arrow." Yeah, and I think sure you still, I still think you screwed that up, and I think <laughs> they screwed that think, up. You think the NBA screwed? Yeah, she had a good summer. He had a good summer league. I think so. he's going to be really good. Uh, really good. No, because because of the exact thing you said. He is an excellent shooter. Then that why didn't, didn't he shoot it more? I, it, it's kind of the style they played, I think. I, I think they, they he shared the ball a little bit too much, probably. Yes. I Well, that's probably a, a factor of playing for Cal, I would Maybe. Say. Uh, he is a great free throw shooter, so if you foul him, he goes to the line, he's going to make. He's gonna be a 94% foul shooter. So. He's the best shooter in the draft class, that's according correct. to his fellow rookies. Yeah, that's like being the tallest. Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. Jay's Johnny Manziel. Jay-Z's entertainment company, Rock Nation, is teaming up with the NFL to consult on entertainment and the league's new social justice campaign. The NFL held a press conference last week to announce that it is teaming up with Rock Nation, the entertainment company founded and led by rapper and mogul Jay-Z. The deal, which has reportedly been in the works for several months, means that Rock Nation will now help advise on selecting artists for major NFL performances like the Super Bowl. Jay-Z is facing a lot of criticism for the partnership due to the fact that he was also a supporter of Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest. Did Jay-Z sell out by partnering with the NFL, in your opinion? Well, of course he did. He's a businessman. I mean, are you serious? I've, I've, th- th- this, this whole thing that's raged since then, it, 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 it is smart on his part because guess what? You did sell out. It's okay. You're a businessman. He sold out a long time ago. Correct. <laughs> And it's smart on the NFL's part because you're trying to bridge a little gap there. It's like you're trying to be the cool kid. You're trying to hang with the cool kids. All right, I'll, I think it's very transparent what you're doing. It's it, but okay, at least you're doing it. But yes, of course he sold out. Am I wrong? No, Jay Z has much more in common with these other billionaire yes. owners who vote for Trump and are mad about the protests and are blackballing Colin Kaepernick and everything else. And so. Jay Z is definitely a hypocrite for being. See, I don't even know if hypocrite's the right word. It, it is. You, you, the only thing I'll say is you can also be a supporter of Colin Kaepernick and also be a businessman. You can be both. You can, but then you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? I, I mean, you, you can't be I all don't in. Know. I don't. Because supposedly Jay Z was telling Jermaine Dupree last year at the same exact right. time not to advise the the NFL on their Super Bowl halftime performance. So they, they were trying to do the same thing with Jermaine Dupree. Jay-Z talked him out of it and said, that's a bad look for you. And then goes back because, and why is he doing it? Well, because he wants to become an NFL owner, as we found correct. out. Yes, He's going to own yeah, part right. of the Steelers yeah. now. He's a minority part, but still. So the, the, none of that surprises me. The interesting part to me will be how this plays out. Because as of right now, Jay-Z is a hypocrite. And, and to be clear, he doesn't represent this whole movement. He doesn't rep- represent all black people. He doesn't have to be anything to anyone in terms of the Colin Kaepernick m- movement and protesting. However, because he did support that, and now he is on the other side with the NFL, I understand why people are going to call him out and say he is a hypocrite. The end game here, though, is more interesting because I do think to actually create real change and have, well, to re- create real change, you need real power. 
Yes. And so you can't just be standing around talking about it on social media. And, and yes, the kneeling thing was a nice protest. It gained a lot of attention. But at the end of the day, what is it really accomplishing other than arguing? Not a whole lot. So Jay-Z becoming an NFL owner could actually make legit change down the road. And, and, and you know, maybe use that platform for more good than what Colin Kaepernick and, and yes, Colin Kaepernick raised a million dollars and, and a lot of him and the other NFL guys that were with him have been donating money and doing lots of good things. So I'm not trying to take away and acting like there was no action on their part, but I will say Jay-Z could end up turning this all around. If at the end of the day, his goal is to gain the type of power that the other NFL owners have and make real change. Yeah, it's a great point, but we won't see that till years down the road. So right now he does look like a hypocrite to a lot of people. And I understand that But you got to get your foot in the door first. You have to, and you, and everyone wants to be social justice warriors, but you actually have to have money and power to make change. And Jay-Z has that. So I'd be I'd be slow to write Jay-Z off if I'm a lot of the people in that movement and on that side of side of things. Yeah, and, and you you know he had to know he was gonna take hits for this. Oh, of course. I mean he he doesn't care. Right. He, but, like but, you said, he's a businessman. He's yeah. always has been. He's never cared about these other movements and things that he's supported. Well, I shouldn't say he doesn't care. He cares. But he cares about his money way more. Yes, he and Beyonce have always been that way, and so for people to like to, to act like this is the first time, it's a little bit crazy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I know your, your point's well taken. A little league World Series pitcher was praised online for displaying some incredible sportsmanship after he allowed a deep home run Friday in a game between Virginia and Rhode Island. Young Rhode Island pitcher Alex Anderson gave up a home run to Virginia's Brady Yates in the fifth inning to break a scoreless tie. As Yates rounded the bases in his home run trot, Anderson ran over to the third baseline and congratulated him and dapped him up. Skinny, do you have any issue with 10- to 12-year-old Little Leaguers congratulating their opponents on go-ahead home runs late in the game? What do you think? <laughs> I couldn't wait to ask you this question. Of course I do. I, look, hey, I am I am a big sports fan. I really and truly am. You, as a coach, I know you are. As a coach, you beat me and your team beats me. I will look you in the eye and shake your hand, and you best do the same thing to me. I'm, I'm, look, we just competed. You competed. I competed. We all competed. And the best, you know... How are you? That's fine. I'm just that part. But in the middle of the freaking game, if you give it the, come on now. I mean, we're keeping score for a reason, are we not? I ain't congratulating you. Next one's going at your ear hole, kid. I would have yanked his ass off the mound so fast it would have made his head spin. That's what I wanted to know. What would, like, if you if your team gets ooped on late in the game oh, and your kid turns no. around and daps the kid up, I, what are you doing? I'd take a 30 second time out and march out and grab all five of them and sit them down and play five on zero. I'd do something. I, you, you ain't doing I told you the one game, I, I the, the guy with the with the iPad who was trying to film his team dunking on everybody, I said before they we went out, I said, I said, they ain't dunking on us. I, I don't, I, I, when, what are you, they ain't dunking on I'm just telling you, they're not dunking on us, okay? Ready? Team on three. One, two, three, team. I know I mean, that's exactly how you roll. So, I, I, yeah. I figured this would bother you. Look, after the game, you want to go over and tip your cap to the kid or, you know, go dap him up at that point? Absolutely. That's fine. But not in the middle of him round. Not on. But no. 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 I can't make myself get upset about anything that 10 or 12 year olds are doing like i just can't i can't watch something and be upset about it when it was like kids was this the sign stealing there was a sign stealing game did you hear about that one there was that too yeah coaches were getting in on all types of fights it wasn't it was it was rhode island and massachusetts i think but yeah yeah Yeah, so i mean this is way more like these are kids being nice to each other there's nothing wrong with that obviously i have i can't make myself mad about that i will say this though not my son like it'll i am my my kid will never yeah correct never do that correct i mean there's just there's certain things you have to be about and have to stand for and 
there's something to be said for competition, right? Like, I'm not mad at these kids. I don't care that these kids uh, yeah, do whatever I, they want. I, uh, yeah. But there's something to be said for competition, too. That's just yes. tipping your cap. Or even if you're the second baseman or the shortstop, the kid comes around, you give nice him a high swing. five even, and say even, something even, nice even, to him. Even, sure. even, boy, you killed that one. You're the pitcher and you sprint over to third base. He's rounding it to dap him up. And he didn't even want anything to do with you. He's just like, get the hell out of my way, kid. What are you doing? Like, that's it's too much. It is too Agreed. much. Agreed. Um, it, it, I, the sportsmanship can come after the game. In that in that case, just yeah. you know, in, in the handshake line, hey man, you really killed that one on me. You know, congratulate, whatever. Yeah. Not 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 wise. No, no. Again, by by all means, I'm not mad at the kids if they did this on their own. Whatever, good for them. But if someone is raising their kids to do stuff like this, just stop. Knock it off. That's bad parenting. <laughs> it's not helping anything. It's raising another generation of losers. I, I, I yeah, no, I, yeah, you, you know where I was going with this. You knew the whole time. You set me up for it, but you knew where I was going with it. I knew where you were going to go, but I, I was curious to see how you would uh, phrase it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been a lot worse. I would say that. I, I could have said it in a lot worse way. Yeah, that was pretty tame. All right, lastly, I'm, I'm going to leave people with this. This is where we are today as a society. <laughs> So before, as I came into this podcast today, I stopped at a Speedway for a cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich. And behind the counter is are, are two two people. One, his name was literally Jose, and I think the other one I don't know what her name was. She was just a she just looked like a haggard middle aged woman. That's who I'll call her Sally. I don't, I don't remember her name. So I'm standing in line, and they're talking, which is fine. And, and I'm the only one in line at that point. You have to walk. You don't walk up the counter at Speedway anymore. You go to the end of this little queue, and one of them calls you over. All of a sudden, she just kind of like, all right, come on up. Oh, not, hey, come on here, sir. Can I help you, sir? No, come on up. Oh, okay. That, that part didn't. So at that point, I proceed to hear him tell her, I haven't had my break yet. I'm so tired. Okay. She proceeds to go, I don't even need this job anyway. All I got is my phone bill. I don't got no bills. I got all kinds of bills, says her. I'm like, what, what is this? And then after I get done checking out with these two, Jose proceeds to tell the next customer, this is the best of all. Pretty shitty day. Yeah, yeah, it is. It sure is. I mean, I mean, customer what, service. Customer service. I, I, look, I worked at McDonald's in Latonia growing up. I mean, we occasionally had some clientele that would get on your nerves a little bit, but you had to smile through all of that, right? You just had to. It was what you did. Well, if I'd have done, if I'd have just, if I'd have been working the register and the managers I had then would have heard me say, "Yeah, come on up," they probably would have fired me on the spot. Yes. I mean, come on. I, I think that would probably be the issue with that speedway is a lack of accountability. I to think start so. With. Um, can we dive into Sally for a second, yes. though? Oh, she's got your phone bill. You mentioned she looked a little haggard, it, but it sounds like life is going pretty well for Sally <laughs> if she doesn't need the job that she has at Speedway. Correct. And she also only has a phone bill. Do you think she lives with their parents? How old is she? Does she live with their parents? Oh, gotta be mid forties. Maybe she lives with her kids. I, I, kids I, are taking care of her. Maybe, a sugar I, daddy I, of some I, sort. No, 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 no chance. Is that our, no chance. Is that our government <laughs> taking care of her? Somebody apparently is. Oh, she's got your phone bill. That's what she said. Oh, I got my phone bill. What a life. What a life. Okay. I need to figure out how to get that gig to where I don't even need to work at Speedway. I do too. But she is, you know, just spending spending her. Wednesday morning at Speedway because she likes it so much. I, I've gone through some drive-thrus lately where you get the occasional, yeah, what can I get you? How about, hi, welcome to blah, blah, blah. How can I help you today, sir? Can we, whatever happened to that? I prefer, go ahead, bub. Go ahead, bub. <laughs> yep, go ahead, bub. No, it's, I don't want to be here any more than you do, bub. All right. Thanks for being with us. This is another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for listening.